Our guest speaker today is, is someone who took that road less traveled and found herself with an un, un, unexpected calling and mission in her life. After Beth graduated with honors from Indiana University, she found herself serving as a missionary with orphans in Monterey, Mexico, addressing such a huge need that existed there. Her and her husband, Todd, in 1997, founded back-to-back ministries, and they personally lived there for 15 years. Since its inception, over 30,000 mission guests have come to serve with orphans and those in need in their different locations. And now they're not just in Monterey, Mexico. They've expanded to other areas within Mexico and other countries such as India, Nigeria, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and even here in Cincinnati. During all of that, whether biological, fostered, or adopted, they raised 10 kids. And somehow Beth found the time in the midst of all of that chaos to write eight different books. So without any further ado, let's welcome Beth Guckenberger to the stage. Oh, speaking about being right on the money, you were right on the money when you said in the middle of all that chaos. That is exactly right with uh, 10 children and all of that. But it's my joy to be here. My name is Beth Guckenberger, and I, I, I like coming here. And I feel like I've earned a reputation here as a storyteller. And I've heard a couple of you ask me, what stories are we going to hear today? So as it's my joy to be in this series, A Word to the Wise, we're going to open up our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22 and work our way through the first half of that chapter. And I'm just going to tell you some stories that illustrate the principles that are, that are given to us. Proverbs is wildly practical. So I'm just going to share stories from my house and from my life where I have seen those principles either work or me not apply them. The first one, um, the first verse in Proverbs 22 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. This is a really special verse to me. Um, 25 years ago, my father passed away, and this is the verse we had on the front of his funeral program. It's a verse that speaks about legacy, and I was thinking as I was getting ready for this morning that legacy is never something that we're too young or it's too early for us to think about. And legacy isn't something that we're too old or too late to think about. No matter where you are, no matter what, what generations you have ahead of you or behind you, it's, uh, it's important to understand that you are leaving an impression of who you are and what you stand for. And your name represents it. I can remember after he was gone thinking to myself, all we have left of him are the stories that we tell about him. Like what kind of stories are... Our people, will people, tell about your life? That's this idea in this verse. Uh, at Back to Back, we were saddened that one of our founding board members passed away this year. His name is Mike Ellison. Some of you might know him. He was a Cincinnati businessman. And at his funeral um, this year, I had a chance to talk a little bit about what his good name has left and how it has has. It has informed some of the decisions that we make as an organization. I told this story from like, Gosh, the first year we were there, so I think 1997, Mike came to visit us in Monterey, and I was like a brand new missionary. And we were going to take him to visit an orphanage that was about five hours away from us up in the mountains. And you don't want to show up at an orphanage empty-handed. So we stopped at a, a grocery store to buy some groceries to take up to the kids in that orphanage. And I was kind of giving him some, I was bossing him around, like, we need this many loaves of bread and this many, you know, jars of peanut butter and this many and he was putting more in my cart than I was giving him instructions for and I said Mike we can't take this much food up there 
They don't even have refrigeration. It's going to go bad before they can eat it all. It's, it's a waste. And he goes, they don't have refrigeration. Well, we're in the wrong store. So we rerouted to the appliance store and we were in the refrigeration, the refrigerator aisle. And I was, you know, those aisles are the same no matter where you are in the world. They start with your base models and they go up to your luxury models. And so I was down in the base model side of the aisle looking at him and he was down over there in the luxury side and I was trying to coax him down to my side of the aisle and I said Mike they're going to be just excited that they have something to plug in and it keeps the milk cold like this is going to be awesome this is this is perfect this is we can take this up this is the right place to start and he just squared up my shoulders and looked me straight in the eye and he said when you give gifts on behalf of Jesus you don't give baseline you give brass ring and Man, that made such an impression on me as we hauled this luxury refrigerator up a mountain to an, an orphanage you'd never had one before. His na- he, he, he gave me a, a principle to live by. And when you have a good name, you have influence. You have actually power, we might call it. I've learned recently about this historical figure. Uh, gosh, I'm fascinated by her. Her name is Mahalia Jackson. Some of you might know her. She was a contemporary of Martin Luther King and one of his um, inner circle. She was a gospel singer from that time frame. And there's the story about the night before he gave, delivered the speech that we know as the I Have a Dream speech. He had gathered some of his um, good buddies, really, in a living room. And he was telling them about what it was that he and his speechwriter had prepared to talk about on the next day. And they had several pages of notes and they were, they didn't know what to expect. We now know, looking back in history, that a quarter of a million people gathered that day to hear him deliver that in Washington. But he was about seven pages into his speech that day. And there's a picture of all the people that were on the stage, on the podium with him. And Mahalia Jackson was one of those people that was on the stage with him. And he was at a lectern just like this. Maybe you've seen some of that footage. And he's like giving his, you know, speech and he's going through and he's saying and everything and everybody's listening. And she gets impatient and she leans over and yells to him, interrupting him in the middle of that speech. Martin, tell him about the dream. Tell him about the dream. And you can see in that footage that he just kind of puts his notes together, scoots him to the left side of the lectern, leans over it and says, I have a dream that one day this nation will come together and all the good things that come after that. Mahalia, with her, with her good name, with her, her good sense, with her influence, lifted up and gave courage to someone who then gave courage to 250,000 people who then went back in their communities and gave courage to people who were standing up against injustice. Like, man, a good name is powerful. We spend a lot of time, I was thinking this on the way here, I was like, gosh, we spend a lot of time going to work and make money, right? The verse says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. I'm like, we spend a lot of time going to work to make money. Like, how much time are we spending thinking about and working towards the name and reputation and power and influence that we have and that we can share. It goes on in the next verse, verse 2, to say, The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. The New King James Version is kind of kind when they use the word simple. I have four teenage sons. I, I prefer instead of simple or foolish, I use the word stupid. It just real gets, gets right to the point. And I'm always telling my sons, stupid actions reap stupid consequences every single time. You can't get out of it. Stupid reaps stupid. It, stupid reaps stupid. It's a, 
it's a phrase in our family. <laughs> they know why I have it. It's, it's, a, it's a principle that you can't, you can't get out of it. You can't get around it. You can't get through it. If you do something, if you see something stupid and you don't walk around it like the prudent man, but instead go right for it, there are always consequences as a result. I have a son-in-law who is a corrections officer and he was telling me this week at dinner one night that, that one of the inmates was trying to provoke him and that everything inside of him wanted to react to the provocation. And he's like, I kept thinking to myself, where's he going? Nowhere, he doesn't have anywhere else to fall. He already is at the bottom. But I have a lot to lose. And if I respond to his provocation, I'm going to fall. And I'm going to go right in the dinner table like between the mashed potatoes. I said, get your Bible out right now. Read Proverbs 22. You were prudent. You saw something stupid that would have had a consequence for you and you walked around it. That is a biblical truth and it's designed to protect you. Because there's, there's silly, um, that's not the right word. There's simple, stupid, foolish things happening all around us on the internet. You click on something stupid, the result is something stupid. We, I was driving here and I was thinking, mm, we can be foolish on the road. We can be foolish in relationships. We can be foolish with our money. We can be foolish with our words. We can be foolish. And every time we are, there's a result negatively on us. And in contrast, that verse says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are things like riches and honor and life, the very opposite of stupid. I was mentored when I was living in Mexico by a woman. Her name is Martha Rojas. She's one of those like ladies who've walked with Jesus so well for so long. I always say I like to kind of rub up against her, just hoping that whatever good godliness she's got on her, it kind of comes up on me. It's super awkward, but she's like in her 80s. She doesn't mind that much. But I can remember um, she told me a story years after it happened. When we first met her, she was running an orphanage with about 50 kids in it. And um, she had had a long career as a nurse practitioner, retired and was a single woman and used her, some of her retirement to start this children's homes. And a couple years after it had started, she was running out of funds and she had like used everything that she could in her own resources. And she'd asked every friend that she ever knew for some resources. And she was realizing time was running out. She wasn't sure she was going to be able to sustain the work that she felt called to do. And one night she couldn't go to sleep because of it. I don't know if you've ever found yourself up in the middle of the night worrying about something and you just, you can't, you can't undo the knot. You, you just have that like sense of anxiety about something that you can't control that's out of your control. I don't know. I don't know if any of you ever felt that way. I almost took a hand count. But one night she was like that and she, she knew what she needed to do. What I encourage and challenge myself and all of you to do when we find ourselves up in the middle of the night about something we have no control over, we need to give it to Jesus. We need to give it to the Lord. That's, what it, that's the very reason he's there. So she slid off of her bed and she got on her, on her knees and she told the Lord these words. If this is your idea, you take care of it. I'm done doing it. I can't do it anymore on my own. If, this, if the, you want this to happen, you've got to provide. And then she got back up in bed and, and fell asleep. I didn't know that happened. The very next day, we had gotten a phone call when we were in Mexico from a Cincinnati businessman who had closed a big deal. And he wanted to tithe a portion of his proceeds to a children's home, an orphanage in Mexico, his only stipulation is that it would, the gift would be concentrated to one place. He didn't want us to spread it out among many needs. So Todd and I were trying to figure out what we were going to do, how we were going to steward a gift of that size. And we just were like asking the Lord, like, where is it that you want this gift to go? Who are we supposed to bless this for? 
And we had just started a relationship with Martha, but that is where we sensed the Lord calling us. So we called her and went over and saw her and, and told her about this gift. And uh, she was very grateful for it. And the children's home continued and it has momentum. And now it's like 20 years old. It's, she's been doing it 20 years. She's like 84 or 5 right now. But she told me about 10 years after that happened that ever since that day, she set an alarm for the very hour that she in the middle of the night decided to fall on her knees, something like 3.15 in the morning. And for every night since then, she lets the alarm wake her up at 3.15. She gets out of bed, gets down on her hands and knees, says a prayer of thankfulness to the Lord for the way that he's provided for her and her children. Then in safety, security, fear of the Lord, she gets back up in that bed, falls asleep, knowing that this is his work and that he'll take care of it. Like that is the very opposite of simple and stupid and foolish. And as a result of her faithfulness, you get gifts like riches and honor and life. It says in verse 5 that thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from him. And I do like that word picture that we're on a journey. And on that journey, there are things like thorns and snares Things that tempt us and entice us and want to pull us down. Something that's looking for like our Achilles heel, what it is that we're weak in so it can bite in that space. And I was, I was studying that verse 5. I was like, he who guards his soul be far from it. Like, what's it look like to guard your soul? Because in this culture and in this, this time, we mix a lot of light and dark. It's not as easy maybe as it once was to know there's a thorn and snare. I'm going to walk away from it. Over here is all good. There's a lot of mixed up dim light out there. And how do you know how to guard your soul? In January of this year, I was um, speaking at a different church and they did exactly what Chad did to me um, this week. He assigned to me a passage. Like I have to fit inside of a series. I don't get to just like go and do whatever I want to. And so when I agreed to do this particular Sunday at this church, Afterwards, the pastor called me to tell me that I was assigned to a week that was entitled, Jesus Invites Us to Rest. I was like, oh, I'm actually not going to be that good at that. Like, you want to get And then I said, did my mama call you? Like, I... And he's like, no, no, this is, this is your week, and I, I think you'll be great. And I said, well, I mean, honestly, I, 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 it's not something I have very much victory in. He said, well, just start out saying that. So I went to my Bible. It's no shortage of verses on it. There was plenty of material for me to study. And one of the first things I do when I study my Bible is I look for like other, um, like the root words, like what, like how was it written in the original language? And I found that the word hakasa, which is this funny little word in an ancient language, means to be still, to be quiet, and to rest. And it's of course all over the Bible. But I found it in this passage in Genesis chapter 4 that I'd never seen it. I'd never even thought about it in that verse. This passage in Genesis 4 is when two brothers are fighting. A a brother named Cain and a brother named Abel. And Cain is eventually going to kill his brother Abel. That's where we get that expression, raising Cain. He's He's the bad one. He's the crazy one. He ends up being the murderous one. But before he has committed that sin and killed his brother, God's having a conversation with him in Genesis 4. And God says to him, Cain, sin... It's crouching at your door, and you have two choices. You can either master it, or it'll come and master you. And when I think about snares and thorns on my path, 
my snares and thorns are probably different than yours, right? Our snares and thorns are based on the life experiences we've had and the weaknesses we naturally have and the families that we grew up in. Like we all have different looking snares and thorns. But whatever it is, it's at our door crouching, waiting to consume us. And we have two choices. We can either master it or it'll master you. Of course, Cain does not master that sin, kills his brother, and onward the story goes. But the verse right before that, right before sin is crouching at the door, it says this literally in your Bibles. If you do what is well, your face will be lifted up. But if you don't do what is well, then sin is crouching at your door. And that verse that we, that word we translate in English as well is this Hikaso verb. So really another way you could say it is if you are still, if you are quiet, if you are resting, your face will be lifted up. And if you're not still, and if you're not quiet, and if you're not resting, then sin is crouching at your door and it longs to master you. And I was studying this and all of a sudden, like, I felt like my brain went like, because I always thought of rest as like a timeout and I don't like to be timed out. So I didn't like to rest. And I was reading that passage and I was like, oh my gosh, like, what if rest is a weapon? Like, what if this is a gift you've given us so that... I'm, I'm careful enough to see the thorns and snares that are ahead of me so that I don't fall on them so that my, my soul could be guarded. So I like was studying that Hikaso and my brain was like, Psh. and I went to my son, one of my sons plays high school basketball. And I went to his basketball game later that night and I was watching the rhythm of a basketball game. And there's like, you know, quarter breaks and halftime and timeouts and they get subbed out. And I was thinking if Aiden played from tip off to the end of the fourth quarter without a single break, by the end of that game, he'd be what? Like sloppy, making mistakes. But he has a coach that understands that there needs to be all these breaks so that when he goes back into the game, he's fresh, he's rested, he's, he's hydrated, he's, he's aware of what's going on. And, and it was like this, like, oh, 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 I got it, God. I got it. There's a rhythm to life. And if we just barrel as fast as we can down the path that we're on, we're going to find ourselves tripping into snares and thorns before we've had a chance to guard our soul. It goes on to say in the next verse, train up a child in a way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Like, I mean, this is a lovely verse for me with my 10 children. And I was thinking about parenting. It's not something you can delegate or even manage, or coast through, or multitask. It's something that takes wild intentionality, no matter what age your children are. When we were moving from Mexico as a family to the United States a couple years ago, I, I instituted, basically forced my children to go through something that I wrote and dubbed cool school. It was really like an etiquette class. I was kind of a bit afraid that my kids who had grown up in Mexico would like greet their friends in high school with kissing them on the cheek because that's what you do in Mexico. And I, I wanted them to understand like some things in America are different. Like you, you do show up on time and you don't stay a long time places. And like just all the little nuance of American culture. So I called it cool school. We had several sessions. They've mocked me endlessly for it. But I was thinking like, like we really need a spiritual cool school in our families all the time. We need to tell our kids, hey, this is what it looks like to see a need and respond to it. This is what it looks like when a snare and a thorn came on my path and I weaved away from it. Like, this is how you navigate life. And the same, with the same kind of intentionality. Like, we're, we're like never done. Because if you want to, this is kind of a silly analogy, but 
really, like, think reverse engineering. Like, how do we want it to end? How do we want our life to end? How do we want our children? Like, how, what do we want it to look like when we finish baking this pie? When, before I ever had kids, we were hosting a, a team, a mission team in Mexico. And don't make this scare you away from mission teams. We don't always eat peanut butter and jelly. But this was a high school group, and we ate lots of peanut butter and jelly that week. And I was sitting, I was, like, up at, like, an island counter and there were about 20 kids around me and for some reason I thought it was a good idea I made all the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches I've now since learned that we can all do our own but I was taking orders and I was hearing these kids say I don't eat wheat bread and I don't like crunchy peanut butter and I don't like chunks of my fruit and I don't do strawberry jelly and I mean by the fifth one I was like thinking to myself my children are going to eat whatever peanut butter and jelly sandwich anybody ever puts in front of them you know the way you do when you don't have kids yet like my children are going to one day but to that end, I've been a parent now over 20 years. One week I buy white, one week I buy wheat. One week I buy strawberry, one week I buy grape. One week I buy apricot. One week I buy crunchy, one week I buy organic. Like I am, I'm bound and determined that when they grow up, they will consume any combination of peanut butter and jelly sandwich that anybody will ever get them, right? It's like, it's like a reverse engineering of intentionality. In the same way, we gotta think about, do we want our, do we want our families to be generous? Do we want them to be people who guard their souls? Do we want them to be people that hold each other accountable to things like thorns and snares? Do we want them to have a good name and to honor and work for that good name more than they work for any kind of bank account? Like, do we want that? If so, what do we need to do now in order to reverse engineer that? We, um, you can't do this really in the United States, but we lived in a house in the middle of a community and my door got knocked on, oh, like 30, 40, 50 times in a day. And so it became very appropriate for me to yell, come in. Like, it, like here, I don't yell, come in to the, to the Amazon delivery guy. But like there, you can just say, come in, which in Spanish is pasale. That's that word, pasale, come on in. I said it so much through the day that my youngest son's first word was not mom or milk or ball. His first word was pasale because he heard me say it, you know, like 400 times in the day. And I, I remember... It was so funny to me at the time that he was saying that. And I was like, they repeat what they hear at all ages. I have a uh, 33-year-old daughter who gave birth to a baby last week at Good Sam. And I've been watching her the last 10 days parent this little girl. And I'm realizing as I talk to her daughter, and then I turn around and do something else, and I listen to her talk to her daughter, she's repeating to her what she just heard me say. Like, this is not just for those of us who are parenting small children or middle-sized children. This is for any of us at any point with children of any age. They repeat what they hear us say. Train up a child in a way they should go, and when they get old, they won't depart from it. We have this funny little thing called life scripts in our family. Actually, we all have them. I'm just owning up to it. They're like expressions that are just unique to your family, that if you started the expression, the rest of your family could finish it. You know what I'm talking about? Um, my husband and I, as I was preparing for this, we were realizing how very different our life scripts are. His are like, if he says, do it right, the rest of my children in, in unison will say, or do it over. Um, he says, lazy people, and they say, don't eat. You know, like, that, that, that he's, he's like, <laughs> he's a bit of a, yeah, he's the general of the family. I'm more like the camp counselor. So I say things like, if you can't share it, they would respond, then you can't have it. Um, that these are like little expressions 
that remind our family of their identity, of who we are. One of our expressions is just three little letters, FHB, and if I say FHB to any of my children at any time, they understand that means family hold back because I'm serving a meal and all of a sudden I'm realizing there are more people at this table than I thought were gonna be there. And there's an expression in Spanish, when you have more people that show up than you were planning on, you just add more water to the beans. And uh, when I have to add more water to the beans, I might whisper to some of those teenage sons, FHB. What they, what they know that means is like, don't get an enormous portion your first time through the line. But it also means we're gonna put somebody else's needs before our own. We're gonna prioritize somebody else's comfort and convenience and satisfaction at our own sacrifice. This is part of our family way. Do you have life scripts and what are they? And if you don't make some, it's never too late to have your own version of cool school. The passage ends with the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. He who sows inequity will reap sorrow and the rod of his wrath will fail. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. There's a lot in those few verses. I love the idea that the borrower is the servant to the lender. I mean, can we, can, can Proverbs get any more practical that we are a slave to that which owns us? And we need to be careful to that with which we find ourselves beholden to. It's so, so very practical. The rod of his anger, commentator Matthew Henry says, the rod of his anger represents the power with which many abuse will eventually fail them. That which we think makes us powerful on earth will eventually fail us. All that we really have are the things that we give away and the stories that are told about it. It goes on to say about the generous eye we bless. That generous eye, that's a Jewish idiom. That's a, that's a classic Hebrew. You'll hear Jesus talk about an eye a couple different times in the New Testament. When he talks about an eye, he's talking about generosity and the opposite of it. To have a good eye, ayin tova, if you like Hebrew, is to look out for the needs of others and to be generous in giving to the poor. He who has a generous eye will be blessed as a result of it. You can't break God's economy. If you give to others out of your resources, time and talent and treasure, you will be blessed for it every single time. In contrast, having a bad eye means to be greedy and self-centered, to, to ignore the needs around you, to resent those with more, and to refuse to help those that are less. This has nothing to do with how many zeros are in your bank account. This is a frame of mind. I've met the poorest people around the world who have the most ridiculous of generous spirits. And I watch them live lives that are full and at peace. And I've met people that have more money than they could spend in their lifetime. And they're miserable as a result of it. And there always feels like it's not quite enough. It has nothing to do with what we have. It has to do with how we feel about what we have and how much we return to those that are around us. God's word, New Testament, Old Testament, all over the Bible, it talks about his commands for us to have an eye for those who are around us. He'll say things like, we should give, like in the Old Testament, there's laws about giving loans to the needy without interest and and recommendations and commands to people who are farmers that when they glean the harvest out of the field to leave the corners undone so people like the the widow 
and the orphan and the alien can come into those corners and be provided for. We are not a country that is leaving much corner. We are living all the way to the edges of our fields and then on the other side. And God's like, I want to bless you. I want you to do things my way. I want to show you what this looks like. Leave the corner of your field. Have eyes for things that are around you. He promises us. He promises us a blessing as a result. Well, I was, um, I'll finish with this story. We were, we were living in this, I know some of you can picture this community, but I, we were living in this Mexican community and um, it's no, no zoning. So like you have nice houses and shacks all in the same like little community. And there was a lady in our community who made her money by breeding dogs. Don't think of any dog breeder you've probably ever been to, but like just that she does what she did out of her shack. She bred dogs and sold them. And her dogs kind of ran around like crazy uh, everywhere in the neighborhood. And one of them got hit by a car and lost its back legs. And um, she had a decision to make. She could put the dog down once it got hit by a car. Or the vet told her he could, he could amputate its back legs and she could determine the quality of life after it had given birth to the puppies that it currently had in its belly. And she didn't want to lose the potential revenue. So she went ahead and made the decision to go ahead and amputate the back legs of this dog and let it live until the end of its pregnancy. So we would notice when we drove by their house that like this dog got around on just its front two paws and you call this your rear end your bumpy in Spanish and it would drag its little bumpy behind it and it would like take its bumpy out to the water bowl and take its bumpy across the street to its friend and take it. And like my kids would just thought it was kind of funny to see this dog who walked around on the front two legs dragging his bumpy behind it. And then it was time for those puppies to be born. And for the first several days, every puppy out of her belly only walked using their front two legs and dragging their bumpies behind them because that's the only example they'd ever seen. And I, I, I was thinking about that story because I'm like, hmm, we are setting, this particular chapter in Proverbs is about legacy. It's about what, who's looking at you and who's following you and who do you have influence over and who, who are you sharing your power with and who are you giving your resources to and how, how is it that you're taking the days and the time and the talent and the treasure that you have and expending it on other people and are those who are behind you who are with or without your permission, enrolled in your own version of cool school, who are following the rules that you are setting for them, how is it that they're walking? Are they up on all four legs? Do they understand what it is that they've been given? And, and be encouraged that it's not too late. Be encouraged that it's totally okay in the middle of the mashed potatoes to pull out your Bible and read Proverbs 22. Be encouraged that you can share the stories of the snares and thorns have found themselves on your path and the ways in which you wish you might have avoided them had you guarded your heart a little bit better. Being, share about how you have shared the things that you have in, in your hand with other people who, who came to the corners of your field. Tell those stories. It's what, that's what will be left of us when it's all over. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the truth of the book of Proverbs. Thanks for how practical it is and how meaningful it is and how it can guide our heart and mind and life and families and choices. May these verses impact our lives as we live accordingly. And may you give us your eyes to see where we might be generous in the days to come. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.
Well, we are so glad that you joined us uh, here this morning at Horizon. And can we thank Beth again? We love having you here so much. You can't walk away today without something new in your heart. Thank you. Uh, Please see us next week as we continue in Word to the Wise. Have a great afternoon.